0: Malachi chapter 3 will be our scripture reading for today. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and this will come into play in a little while as we talk about the significance of his witness in this moment in the history of the people of God. Listen to Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Merciful God, we ask once more for you to open our hearts during this time. We ask that our worship as students of the word, as people seeking to grow in responsiveness and transformation to your word, may you enable that through your Holy Spirit in a special way. May the words of my mouth and the things that we think about in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, a rock and a redeemer. Amen. So. A big theme for this morning, a word we're going to come back to several times, is the word renewal. Renewal. When we think about that, like not in the church, not in sort of like a spiritual setting, what do we think of? I I just came up with a couple of examples. Uh, I got my contract renewed, right? That means you get to have a job, you get to continue in your place of employment if you're under contract. Maybe a couple after 10, 20, 30 years of marriage will say, it's time for us to renew our wedding vows. Maybe you've been to one of those services. There's a theme within that, that the renewal isn't just going to happen. It's something that we need to set apart time for, that we need to be able to receive. Renewal is something bigger than just us. Uh, It's telling that I'm a Presbyterian pastor, because when I tried to look up renewal in my theological dictionaries, I couldn't find it anywhere. I'd been Pentecostal, maybe it would have been just that much easier to find. When the scriptures talk about renewal, they talk about something that is happening now and is going to happen in fullness much, much later on in history. The dictionary definition of renewal, Webster's, Faithful old Webster's, tells us this, renewal is to make or become new, to be fresh, to be strong again. And as I mentioned that, I bet you, you're thinking of some place in your life or in the life of someone you know, where you would love to see renewal. And it can be as simple as like, hey, I've got a friend, his contract's coming up. I'd love for him to get that contract renewal. Absolutely. Maybe uh, you know a couple that their marriage is struggling, or maybe you're in a marriage that's going through a tough season. Man, I'd love to see renewal in my marriage. Those are sort of the two broadest examples that I could think of. But what if there's a level deeper? What if there's a part of you that is just so tired of being in relationship with your neighbors, so tired of the people you work with, so tired of the person that you share your life with? And renewal, it's like, how could we even get to that point, right? Or you're so broken down by a season in life where you thought stuff was going to go one way and it just went the complete opposite direction. You thought having a kid would be the greatest thing ever and having a kid is the greatest thing ever, but oh my gosh, this is a lot of work. And you're looking for renewal within that. So throughout the summer, we've been talking about these short books of the Bible, right? Short books, big questions. And the big question for us today is, how am I trying to find renewal in my life? What are the places where I'm looking for it? How am I trying to get there? And I think maybe the bigger question, maybe the meta question for this is, can life still come from dead places, can life still come from places that I've just gotten used to assuming are dead, they're not working anymore, I just need to move on? And I think the witness of scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament, is that absolutely life can come from dead places. That's that's the miracle of Easter. But as we think today about Malachi and about his promise of renewal, which I just read for us, I want to hold out to you that there are plenty of places in our lives that we might say, I just, I don't think that can work anymore. I don't, I don't know if renewal can come there. Hold open the possibility as we talk today that renewal can come. And that's our thesis for the morning. Malachi promises renewal through the coming gift, gift of Jesus Christ. Malachi promises renewal through the coming gift of Jesus. And so underneath that, we're going to ask three different questions, which are outlined in your bulletin. What's the problem? Who is coming? Not what should we do, but who is coming, and then what's going to happen? What's the problem? Who's coming? What's going to happen? So let's start with what's the problem. This is where we kind of take stock of Malachi. We kind of learn a little bit about the context as we've been doing through each week of the summer. Now, uh, when I was in seminary, we joked that Malachi is the Italian prophet, Malachi. So if you want to just practice that with me, right? Say "molto bene" or anything like that. That, that, that can substitute for our amen today, right? Because normally we're like doing a lot of that here at Bethany. Molto bene. What's happening in the larger picture around Malachi, the Italian prophet? This, he's not really Italian. Nobody write that down. One of the guys that's on teaching team went to Princeton, and we started to joke about Malachi, the Italian prophet, and he's like, wait, is he really Italian? And we're like, no, you just went to Princeton where everything's really serious. Like The rest of us learned how to have fun with this kind of thing. What's happening in the nation of Israel? The temple, which we've talked about a bunch of different weeks. This has kind of been a theme throughout our looking of the books of the Old Testament, these short books. The temple's back. The temple has been restored. The people of Israel are worshiping. They're engaging in life and community. The devastation that had happened has been restored. There's been a form of renewal for the people of Israel. But a key part of their society has not experienced this kind of renewal. And that's their leadership. Their leadership. The spiritual leaders of the people of Israel are faltering. Okay, so who are the spiritual leaders? Who are these people? Well, they were, they were men, they were priests, and they were the guys who were at the temple each day and who followed not just the rules that God outlined for his people in the scriptures, but the rules that their culture had come up with over the years. They started to design these things that applied to them, and they felt like in order to achieve a place of holiness, they had to keep the rules. Well, thank goodness none of us have ever struggled with that, right? The, the priests, the precursors to the Pharisees and all these people that Jesus was in conflict with, what they had lost, what they were in crisis about, was that the love of God, the grace and generosity of God, which we will celebrate at the table in just a moment, was off their radar screens. What they wanted to do was a little bit like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. They wanted to be with God by keeping God's rules. They wanted to make that their pathway into relationship and vitality with God. Malachi spends most of chapter 1, chapter 2, and a little bit of chapter 3 telling these leaders, like, you've missed it, and now your people are missing it because as go leaders, so goes the community that they lead. He's telling these priests, listen up, you are practicing religion, religion in the pejorative sense of it. This will not save you. Keeping the rules will not keep you warm at night. Now, the big takeaway in all of this is that God's people, despite having a restored temple, like the building is ready, the edifice is in place. They have the right staff in place, but their hearts are not there. And their leaders are to blame. Listen uh, to Malachi chapter 2. This is one of the many indictments against the leaders of the people of Israel. Malachi chapter 2, I'll read verses 10, 11, and 12. And this is the prophet speaking. He's speaking with the voice of God. He's asking a rhetorical question. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? So starting out, he's saying, look, we all came from Abraham. We all worship one God. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? If we're all about unity, why are we living this way? Why are we living in such disregard of the covenant? We'll come back to covenant in a little while. Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. What Malachi is saying, your hearts are compromised, And as a result, whatever religious things you're doing, whatever pietistic expressions are coming into being because of the worship that's happening at the restored temple, that's also compromised. It's not working because you guys aren't working the right way. So rather than the people of God walking by the temple, walking around this restored, beautiful building where they could worship God and being in awe of God, in awe of God's restoration and God's provision and God's care, instead of that, they're just doing whatever. Walking around, maybe ignoring it, maybe worrying about whether, like their leaders, they're keeping all the right rules. And in a sense, they've created a whole other subset of little g gods that they worship. We all do this, right? Like everybody, like take a deep breath. Like we all do this. In various forms, we all do it. We go through a season of fatigue where you're just you're running out of steam. You're just tired. And so we dream about vacation. We dream about a drink with an umbrella in it and a beach spread out in front of us. We're discouraged at work, so what do we do? We dream about another job. We dream about retiring at 30 or 40 or 50. We don't find our spouse attractive anymore, so hello, Tinder. Or if we're not liking those options, we just put our heads down and go to work and we just work mindlessly and soullessly until we get through it. This is the story of the prodigal son. This is exactly what happened to the two brothers in that famous parable from Luke 14. One son is all about tender. He's all about living his life and trying to achieve freedom through license, through doing whatever he wants, wild living. But the wonderful thing about that story and the convicting thing about that story is that the elder brother who comes in at the end is no better off than the younger son. The younger son gets the bad rap, but the elder brother is just as lost why because he comes to the father after the prodigal son has come home he said he's sorry they've thrown a big party and the elder brother says oh i'm so happy you're here no he says i've kept all the rules why don't i get a party i've been a good boy why don't i get the same recognition he is trying to find purpose and meaning through legalism and his brother's trying to find it through license and both legalism and license are dead ends this is the stew that the people of Israel are swimming in that we hopefully can relate to. Whether we're coming from a place of faith where we're kind of exploring this, this is how we get lost. And this is precisely why we need renewal. When we look for renewal, we look for a way for our hearts to learn a new rhythm. It's not just a mantra that we repeat to ourselves, it's not just an index card we tape to the dash of the car. It's a new way of life, it's a new way of ordering our lives. So rather than going online when we're sexually frustrated, rather than working ourselves to death and ignoring the world around us, we need another way forward. And the way forward that our scriptures talk about in Malachi has to do with a person and not a program. So let's take a look at that now when we talk about who is coming. So this is the next question. What's the problem? The spiritual leaders of Israel are compromised. They're on the wrong path and the people are following them off the cliff. So What's going to happen now? Who's, who's going to come to the rescue? And I, I phrase that question intentionally as one about a person because most of the time when we're dealing with something spiritual, and I try hard not to compartmentalize the spiritual and the secular, but just for a moment, bear with me, oftentimes when we're facing a spiritual problem, it is solved and helped by relationship. It's not solved and helped often by tactics, by this, that, or the other. It's a relationship. Is who are we with now, this, is a, this should be a struggle for a lot of us. A lot of us work in technology and engineering and building things, so we like plans. We like being able to have something scoped out in front of us. I'm going to achieve this milestone. I'm going to get to this benchmark, and that's all fine and good. And honestly, I'm learning more about that in this season in my uh, career in ministry than I ever have, just how important it is to have good plans for what you want to achieve and to set goals. But what we do, and I do this too, is that we count on that process, we count on our technical skills, we count on having the right person on our team to solve the problem, and then three cups of coffee and a cliff bar later, we're good. We've solved it. That's our formula for success. Let me throw out a caution to that as we talk about how the people of Israel are supposed to solve their problem. When we focus on what we should do, what process we should use for spiritual renewal, that presumes that the power created by your process or your plan is sufficient to overcome your problem. That I have it within me to create this plan or bring this skill set to bear, and that alone is enough power for me to get through this thing that I'm facing. And I think the case that the scriptures are making for us today is we don't need a plan as much as we need a person. And the person is the one that we described in the scripture passage that I read for us a moment ago. So turn back there with me to Malachi chapter 3. This is one of the great visions of Jesus long before Jesus came on the scene. It says this. I'll just read the highlights at the end, or at the beginning, excuse me. I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? I want to break down one of the phrases that's in the text for us the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. This is at the very, kind of in the middle of verse one the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. We'll look at each of those key words very briefly. Messenger, covenant, and delight. Uh, first of all, messenger, interestingly enough, that's Malachi. Like the Hebrew word for messenger is malak, like the name Malachi. Malachi's name literally means my messenger. Is he talking about himself in this passage? No. He's talking about someone with greater power and greater wisdom than he could ever have. Most of the time when this Hebrew word is used in the Old Testament, it's talking about angels It's talking about heavenly beings that break into the course of human life and stir things up and change things the way God wants them to be. And so we know that if Malachi is talking about a messenger and he's using that particular word for it, the messenger is good. That's what you need to know about the messenger. The messenger comes to bring good and to do good. So that's messenger. The second word is covenant. This is the Hebrew word berit, which means a treaty, and by implication, something that you enter into with a lot of weight. Like this would have been a really serious binding commitment. The good work that this messenger is coming to do happens in the context of a promise-bound relationship. A relationship that is shaped by a promise. And I love that because we make promises to one another in God's church in such a way that we can relate to this. We had a group of new members up here last week and we promised one another as a church that we would care for each other and support each other and be the presence of Christ to one another. When we have baby dedications, we make promises as a congregation that this family and this child is going to have every opportunity to succeed in Jesus Christ and we're going to play our part in that. If you're married, you have made a sacred covenant promise. And that's part of why the reality of divorce is so hard because that promise goes away. It changes. And it's so hard on everybody. We'll talk about the new covenant, the covenant made through Jesus Christ on the cross when we come to the communion table in just a moment. So the messenger who comes to do good work is not an independent contractor that nobody knows and no one will ever see again. He, in this case, he comes in the safety and security of a relationship that is not going away. And he is not going to fade or fail within that commitment. A vital relationship between God and people. That's what covenant brings here. Okay, and the final word is delight. And I love that this is in here. The Hebrew word there is chafetz, which means desire, delight, pleasure. And what it got me thinking about was, have you ever worked for someone or worked with someone and you would say of them, of that working relationship, man, it was just a delight to work with that guy. It was just fun. It was just a great day at the office when she was around. I've had a number of people who led me and supervised me in ministry, men and women, that I would say working for them was an absolute delight. Because they cared about me, because they were invested in the work that I was doing, even though I was often 15 levels below them on the org chart. Who have you worked with that you would say is just a delight to work with that person? That is who we're talking about in Messiah. It is someone that is going to bring delight to the people. So, just to summarize, who's coming to help the people? Someone who has greater power than any process or workflow. Someone whose technical skills are never going to be at issue. And they come into the problem, facing the problem with God's people, in an ironclad covenant commitment of relationship, with a passion for the good of others, and they're delightful. Like, they're just great to be around. You would hire this person. You would want this person to be on your team. And in Jesus Christ, we have this person and we have the promise of renewal. And so now let's talk about the third part. What's going to happen? What's going to happen is renewal is going to come. Go back to that Webster's definition of it. Renewal is to make or become new, fresh, and strong again. We see this in the text in the latter part of uh, the passage from Malachi 3 that I read for us. Malachi the Italian prophet. Malachi 2 and 3, chapter 3, 2 and 3. Who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For, and that can also be translated because, he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. The key themes from that passage are righteousness, or excuse me, refinement and cleansing. So let's talk about refinement. Messiah is going to come and bring refinement to his people. In this passage, we're talking about refinement of metals, which is a common uh, illustration in the scriptures. And it's not a fun process. If you've ever watched metal being refined, watching the dross and the other things sort of fall off of it, refinement is really hard. And to say, it's 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 absolutely cliched now to say, oh, so-and-so has very refined taste. That means they can afford to go eat at expensive restaurants and, like, eat and drink things that they maybe didn't like, right? This is different. This is a costly form of refinement. Uh, I've been told that uh, one of the gifts I have, one of the things that God's enabled me to do, and I'm not perfect at this by any means, is I try to be intentional with people. I really try to treat people like I'm with them, like I'm not you know, bringing my attention elsewhere. I'm trying to remember things about that person. I'm trying to show them that I'm really with them. And I know a lot of you guys would affirm that for me, and I'm grateful. That comes from a place of deep pain and loneliness in my own life. Like many of us, I've struggled with loneliness throughout my life. Right after college was one of the loneliest times of my whole life. All my friends had graduated. I stayed in the town where I was living. I had some community around me, but it, just, it felt like the doors were closing, and with the last one in here, please turn off all the lights. I felt like I'd been abandoned. I felt like I'd been cut off from relationships. And so that pain, I think, translated by the grace of God and refined me so that one of the things that I now do as an adult is I try to be intentional with people. I try to bring that be- value to bear in the things that I do. And it was very costly for me to get to that value. If you think about the values that help define your own life, I value honesty, I value faithfulness, I value frugality. Those are things that we don't just trip and fall into. They're things that are taught to us, shown to us, or that suffering brings to us. And I think especially when suffering is in play, that's us experiencing the kind of refinement that this passage is talking about. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can experience refinement. It's one of the ways that God beckons you toward him. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're connected to someone who's going through suffering and pain, we know how to do this the wrong way. Don't bring in a bunch of cliches or anything like that. But if someone you know who's far from God is hurting, you can start this refinement type conversation with them and say, yeah, but what do you think God might be teaching you? Or what do you think you might be needing to learn through this? It's got to be in the right context, the right kind of relationship. But this is a great entry point for being able to talk to our secular friends about what God does in refinement. Now, cleansing, the other part of this, is a lot more agreeable to the stomach than refinement. Did you catch that term in there, like fuller's soap? Fuller, like lowercase fuller? I didn't know what a fuller was, so of course I had to go look it up. It turns out that a fuller was somebody's job back in the Old Testament times where they were responsible for getting your whites brighter white than you could imagine, like beyond bounty fresh, beyond any of that. This is how Jesus is actually described at the Transfiguration. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. The transfiguration is a moment of incredible holiness and power where Jesus Christ is with his disciples. He's up on a mountainside and something incredible happens. Something beyond the explanation of just science happens. He's transformed. Listen to this. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, led them up a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white such as no one or no fuller on earth could bleach them so if there's a fuller standing around watching Jesus at the transfiguration he's going like dude i need your secret like how how'd you pull this off those are like the whitest clothes i've ever seen in seriousness though this is the moment when jesus's glory breaks through and the disciples go oh we had no idea this is who we are with. We are with Messiah. And the cleansing, the clarity, the purity of that moment just sort of stumps them and shocks them into a place where they realize who he is. So through one word in the book of Malachi, we are connected to one of the most amazing moments in Jesus's ministry, when he is transformed in front of his disciples. As Jesus was transformed in that moment to reveal glory and power beyond this earth, so are both individuals and communities able to experience his renewal. We are able to experience his renewal. God's renewal is his ability to make both individuals and a community new and fresh and strong again, now and at the end of time, when Christ comes and makes everything right and wipes away every tear, and the new heavens and the new earth come. That's a whole other sermon series. But for today, I want to focus on the now when we can experience renewal. The way that God brought renewal to the people of Israel through this time in their history was to show them a vision for Messiah, to unite them. And then later on at the end of Malachi chapter 3 and at the beginning of chapter 4, the people, they get it together. They start taking notes. They start going, you know what? We've been off the mark. They turn away from their old ways of life. They actually start writing down things that God has done in their midst so they don't forget anymore, which I really like because I can't remember stuff unless I write it down. And then in chapter 4 of Malachi, healing breaks out. That's where we get that great phrase that will be healing within his wings, under his wings, under the care of our God. So the people of Israel experience God's renewal and there is healing in their community. There is transformation in their way of life. And it's something that we need to. There was a, a poet and a hymnodist from the 18th century named William Cowper. Cowper was part of the abolitionist movement. So he worked with William Wilberforce and these other guys who tried to help the United Kingdom steer away from slavery and move toward a time when there were no longer slaves throughout the kingdom. And like many of those men, he had a gift for writing. And Cowper wrote this line in one of his hymns, that I want to share is a word of encouragement, and I'll share a story about how this has meant something to me. Listen to this, I'll read it twice. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and a duty into choice. That's what happens when we ask for renewal. It stops being about duty. It starts being about something that we want to live into as followers of Jesus Christ. For me, uh, this kind of renewal has come more and more often, not shockingly, through times where I can be silent, or I can be alone where I can just think and to kind of have God speak into those moments. Silence is at a commodity in my house. My wife and I have 3 children under the age of 6. That's where I find daily renewal, honestly. And the question that I would ask is where do you need to go to remember that Christ has fulfilled the law? You don't got to keep banging your head against the wall. He has done it. Where do you need to go to hear his voice? Where do you need to go so that that transformation of duty and sort of this is what I'm supposed to do and what I got to do, how can that be changed? So that it's the longing of your heart, so that renewal springs up through the heart. That's what the people of Israel had to go through. So where are we looking for renewal? Are we looking for a renewal through a process? Are we looking through renewal through a new set of circumstances? Are we looking for a new relationship? The interesting thing about the renewal that Malachi brought to the people of Israel was that they had to enjoy it in that moment, and then they had to wait a really long time for Jesus. You may know this, but Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and there's 400 years of history between the end of the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus Christ, 400 years. And during those 400 years, the people of Israel were not sitting pretty. They had four different violent rulers overthrow them yet again. And so by the time Jesus comes around, they're living under the rule of Herod, not a nice guy. They went through season after season of various forms of religious oppression and being in power and not being in power is very disruptive. And 400 years from when Malachi shared these words about the coming king to when he actually showed up. They had to wait. Now, there's a good news and a bad news piece to this. The good news is we don't have to wait. That in Jesus Christ, as we come to the table in just a moment, we can be renewed through his Holy Spirit because of who he is and what he has done. There's no waiting for people who follow Jesus Christ. But there is still waiting, that's the bad news. There will be waiting as we wait for renewal in our job. There will be waiting as we wait for renewal for our bodies. If you've been sick, or if someone you love has been through a long-term illness, you don't just wake up and it's all fixed the next day. If you've, uh, This happens a lot with couples in military service. If you live apart from one another for a long time, one person develops an, a particular rhythm of life, another person develops a rhythm of life, and as you're reunited, as your term of military service ends, you've got to learn a new rhythm. You've got to learn how to be together again. You have to look for renewal in your relationship. So don't be discouraged if you're looking for renewal but ask the question, what source am I leaning on? Am I leaning on a person? Am I leaning on someone who's trustworthy? Am I leaning on someone who has the power to bring people to the table and to share his body and blood and to share real life? Please join me in prayer. Jesus, as we now get ready to come to your table. We recognize that your renewal is right in front of us. We're humbled by that, but we're also mindful that we can't make it happen. We can consider your goodness. We can get to quiet places. But ultimately, it's your gift to us that brings renewal. So as we prepare our hearts for the table, as we prepare our hearts for this juice and this bread... May you be speaking to us now and in these moments in worship about where we can look for your renewal, where we can be asking for it, seeking it, praying for it, and how you would have that happen, not just for us, but for the sake of others. Thank you that your renewal is never just about one person. It is about whole communities. And at this table, would you stir up our imaginations for renewal throughout our community? We ask in the name of Christ, amen. I'm going to invite those uh, serving communion to come forward and join me. This table is not the property of Bethany Community Church. It is not the table of Peter Kirk Community Center. This table is the table of Jesus Christ, and he welcomes those who follow him to this table. Uh, These folks are going to be up here with me, and they're going to serve these very simple elements of bread and juice. We also have uh, allergy-free elements up here, gluten-free, if you have any concerns about that. That's in the smaller basket. And so we do this because Jesus did this with his friends. These friends that he was sealed in relationship with through his body and through his blood. And they didn't even know it was coming when they were with him. They had no idea that when he sat down with them on the night that he was betrayed and he broke bread and he offered it to them, they they had no clue that he was going to say, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do this and remember me. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he poured out the cup and said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins for many. And the Apostle Paul later reminds us, as often as we eat this bread, as often as we drink from this cup, we proclaim the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one whose name brings renewal the one who is our hope, the one who is the power source that can actually connect us to the way of life that God has designed us for. So I want to invite you to come forward and to receive communion. You can come down these middle aisles and then go back along the sides. As you come forward, uh, these women and men will offer you bread, and they will say, this bread is the body of Christ broken for you. And then as you go and receive the cup, uh, they will say, "This this cup is Christ's blood shed for you. I want to invite you to take the bread when you're ready to do so, and then invite you to hold on to the cup until the very end of communion, and we will take that cup together. Friends, this is the table of God for God's people. As you're ready to do so, starting at the back, I want to invite you to come forward and receive from the Lord's bounty.